Welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Have you ever had the feeling that you get into the same kind of conflict over and over again in your relationship? And when you recognize that, do you feel more free, like you're able to stop the pattern in its tracks and do something better? Or are you left feeling powerless once the train has left the station? Well, it turns out that there's one major source of all conflicts within a couple. And today we're going to talk about what that source of conflict is and, in very practical terms, how to recognize it and break free of those repetitive patterns when they're happening. And we'll also have a helpful hint or two for those of us in relationships with children from past relationships. Today's guest is Dr. Sue Johnson, renowned psychologist, researcher, teacher, and author of the book Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. She is a leading innovator in the field of couples therapy, having been the primary developer of emotionally focused couples therapy, which we will abbreviate as EFT as we talk about it in this conversation and which has demonstrated its effectiveness helping couples in over 25 years of peer-reviewed clinical research. Sue has generously offered to give away a free signed copy of her book, Hold Me Tight. If you're interested in qualifying, simply download the show guide for this episode at neilsatin.com slash sue, that's S-U-E, or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. So, get ready to learn even more about how to apply attachment theory to your life in a way that will help you feel more grounded and secure in your relationship and better able to take on the world. Dr. Sue Johnson, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. You're welcome. I'm really curious to start maybe by... Um, you're just telling us a little bit about how you got the insights that led you to emotionally focused therapy. What was, what was working in what you saw and what wasn't working to, to sponsor your curiosity that, that led you down this path? <laughs> um, well, basically, um, I was a graduate student, actually, and I'd done almost every kind of therapy except couple therapy. Um, I'd done family therapy with adolescents in care. I'd done lots of individual therapy using kind of a Rogerian approach. And um, I'd done groups. I'd worked with violent men. I'd, I, and I was feeling sort of pretty sure of myself and competent. And the only thing I hadn't done was work with couples. So um, the final sort of placement in my doctoral studies was to go and work with couples and the agency was going through some sort of crisis. So they asked me um, if I could work with um, couples for three days straight, seeing a couple um, every hour. And with all the arrogance of um, a very idealistic graduate student, I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) How hard can it be? You know, because I can do all the other kinds of therapy. And bottom line is I went in there and sitting in with a distressed couple and getting immersed in their drama was, first of all, totally fascinating for me. And secondly, um, I felt completely incompetent. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. It was um, the drama that was going on was much more powerful 
than any of the interventions that I read about in the books or that I came up with. And that fascinated me um, because I didn't really understand the drama. So I went out and I read like crazy because when you're a graduate student, you always think that every secret to the universe is really in the library if you can only find the right book. So I read everything and it said things like teach them skills. But my perception of my couples was that um, the people, that they could use the skills, but only when they didn't really need them. They could use the skills when they weren't overwhelmed by these enormously powerful emotions. But once um, things got really difficult in the drama, the skills went out the window. And uh, also skills in those days were things like teaching people to take a time out mm. and sort of turn away from their partner. And what I saw that was when that happened, um, at least half the time or more, it actually made things worse, you know, because one partner would turn away and the other one would get more upset, not less upset. And then there was teaching insight. So I got pretty good at teaching people insight into their relationships. And they'd say, thank you very much. That's a very useful insight. Now, where was I? I'm going to go back to attacking my partner. <laughs> so, so I got completely frustrated. And thank God, I don't know where I, thank goodness for this thought. I thought, well, um, I'm going to understand this. And I think some of that came from the fact that it reminded me a lot of my parents' marriage because I'd watched this as a child, this drama. Mm. And um, the thing that hit me there was I knew my parents loved each other, that that wasn't the problem. See, some people say, oh, well, people just don't love each other anymore. But I knew my parents loved each other, and that didn't seem to help. So I always think I found this drama fascinating. So I just decided to take my couples, and I became, when I look back on it now, I was slightly psychotic. You know, I was, I became just obsessed with this. I would take my sessions, and I'd watch them 10 times. I'd watch them, and I'd look at the woman, the, part, the female partner. I'd watch them and look at the man. I'd watch them um, just for the audio and listen to the way the dance changed with the partners. I'd watch them and I'd look at what I did and when it didn't work. And gradually, 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 um, and this is a little bit what John Gottman talked about in the research that came out a few years later. I saw patterns and I also saw patterns in the way people dealt with their emotions and the messages they sent to each other. And it became very clear to me that um, the emotion was the music of the dance. And it was the emotion that was organizing these interactions. When mostly in those days, people were, they dealt with everything but emotion. Therapists were getting their clients to think differently. They were giving them insights. They were teaching them to control their interactions by cognitive skill sets. But nobody was actually working with these emotions. So I kind of knew how to do that already. So I started doing that. And things started to happen. And I just got, um, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> I just became, I just went on fire. I just, um, start, I started to put together a little manual for the things that I did that seemed to work. And I created a little manual, and then I fought like hell against all the wisdom 
of, in my program to be able to do this outcome study for my dissertation, which was a ridiculous study. Okay, it was it was ridiculous. It was huge, and it was it was ridiculous. It was so ambitious that it was dumb. <laughs> and some somehow I managed to do it, and the, but then the results blew my mind. I checked them three times. I thought, no, there's got to be a mistake, because what the results said was we got the best results in of any couple therapy. And by the way, thirty years later, that's still true. Wow. But now we have. Because most couple interventions have no outcome studies at all, none. And um, so I'm very proud of our research. Um, but that's how it started. Uh, but then I still didn't really understand what I was doing. I mean, I didn't understand, um, well, what does this drama mean and why is this working? <clears throat> you know, I'm helping people have, on very basically, I'm helping people have conversations where there's less criticism and blaming and less stonewalling and withdrawing okay fine but that's just half the picture then I seem to be helping people move into some sort of new connection with each other but what is this really I mean is it just sentimentality you know I share a bit of my vulnerability with you and that makes you feel better about me for a bit what is this and it was only when um, I started to link it to John Bowlby's work on attachment, which right then was only applied to mother and child. Um, it really, the whole area of adult bonding had not taken off. It was only when I suddenly got, my God, this is all about attachment bonds. And John Bowlby captured this drama when he looked at mothers and children beginning in the 1960s in England. And what Bowlby basically said, and now, um, you know, after uh, 20 years it took for adult bonding, to, for us to really start studying adult bonding and adult love, but we now understand that romantic love is not some sort of slightly psychotic mixture of sex and sentiment. Um, romantic love is an ancient, wired-in survival code that is designed to keep one or two people that you totally trust who will be there for you uh, when you call, when you need, close to you. And that is what it's all about. And your mammalian brain codes that drama in terms of life and death. And so that is why people get so angry, so devastated, so sad, so afraid. That's why they trigger each other because your mammalian brain knows that this drama is, in fact, about life and death. It's about whether you're on your own or whether someone will call, come when you call. It's about um, is there somebody on this planet to whom you matter so much that they will be available, responsive, and engaged with you. A-R-E, available, responsive, and engaged with you. Um, or, or are you all by yourself? So the key um, question in love, from my point of view, from an attachment point of view, is are you there for me? A-R-E. Can I rely on you to be accessible, responsive, and engaged when I need you? Will you come when I call? And um, this was just the beginning of a huge journey, not just into 
couple interventions, but into understanding what love is all about. And what I say in my latest book, Love Sense, is that we've cracked the code of love. We understand what romantic love is all about now. What this means for the therapist is that for the very first time, couple and family interventions can be based on a clear research-based understanding of the phenomena you are trying to change. They can be based on a clear understanding of this relationship and what matters in this relationship and its impact on us. So you can be on target. And obviously, the difference between being on target for an intervention and not being on target, just addressing all kinds of symptoms, but not really getting to the heart of the matter is huge. Yeah. I'm curious for someone listening to the show, um, how would you articulate for them like a, a vision for what's actually possible in their relationships with their significant others? Well, what we've understood, that's a very good question. What we've understood from the last um, 25 years of research and what couples have taught us, uh, because it's couples that taught us how to do this. Um, what couples have taught us is that you can learn, even if you've had negative relationships in your rest of your life, even if you've, you're in a distressed relationship right now where you're actively hurting each other, um, you can learn to understand this dance called love. You can learn to um, see patterns, the way you move with your partner, how you trigger each other, step on each other's feet, get in each other's way, push each other off balance. And you can learn to help each other in moments of emotional disconnection when your brain freaks out because it says, you're all alone, this person doesn't care for you. You can learn to help each other, balance each other when you lose your balance with each other and create a sort of what we call a secure base. You can look and you can say things like, I'll tell you what my couples say after about um, eight sessions of EFT. Hey, we're caught in that thing again. We're caught in that thing where I can't seem to connect with you and I get upset and I start to feel like I'm not important. So I start poking you and I'm poking you to get you to turn towards me. But this is one of these things where you feel like I'm just trying to hurt you. And the other person says, yeah, that's right. And I just want to run. I want to run. But I know we're starting to understand that when I run, that totally freaks you out and you, you poke me more. So should we not do that? You want to sit and have tea? And let's talk to Sue about it in the next session. And they say, yeah, that's right. And they have people create names for it. You know, we have an educational program now that's based on our research called Hold Me Tight. It's based on my Hold Me Tight book. And you even see it. People are even able to do this in Hold Me Tight groups, in educational groups that are happening all over the world right now. They can learn to do it in a group. They don't even need to be in therapy where people can say, yes, we're caught in the spiral. We're caught in the nothing. We're caught in the, the tornado. So let's, so people can actually recognize emotional disconnection, understand how important it is and help each other out of it. So that means they can create this stable platform in their relationship. And then, 
and this is important and then because that's not enough okay stable platform not fighting not actively cutting each other off freaking each other out is not enough we have learned to help them have what we call hold me tight conversations where what is possible is that you can learn to in a in an emotionally balanced way you can learn how to put your emotions together how to share your vulnerability with your partner in a positive way that pulls your partner towards you and you can also learn how to tune into your partner and respond to them in a way that makes a secure bond and a secure bond is um just predictive of every kind of mental health good social coping growth it's predictive of every good mental process that you can imagine um it's we're even finding that it's predictive of physical health uh, it's the way we're meant to be we're meant to be we're born longing for this connection this emotional connection with a few loving others and trying to move into it trying to hold on to it when we it's lost and we can actually show people how to do that right and once you're in that secure place then it's like your whole system becomes available for being creative in the world collaborating right. with your partner collaborating with other people actually like living the way that we are meant to live here whereas yes. without it our entire systems become compromised right Yes, that is my understanding. If you are spending um, 75% of your energy um, trying to prove to other people that you're okay, worrying about whether other people will accept you, feeling alone, trying to persuade yourself that you don't need other people, or actively trying to please other people, just imagine all that. I mean, that takes a huge amount of energy. Right. If you're spending 80% of your energy in that, then obviously <laughs> you, 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 it, it really cripples you in terms of being able to grow. It cripples you in terms of being able to deal with stress. You know, the research is that after 9-11, um, one of my colleagues went in and looked at the people in that vicinity to where the towers came down. And he looked at them after the event and he looked at them 18 months later. And what he found was, that the people who could have what we call hold me tight conversations that we teach distressed couples how to have, the people who could turn and confide and be vulnerable with other people and ask them for support and, and take in their support, they were doing pretty fine after 18 months. They seem to have grown. They seem to have become more mature and more spiritual as people. They were doing pretty well. and But the other people who could not turn to other people who turned but were terrified that other people weren't responding. So, you know, were, it was all sort of filled with mixed messages and anxiety. Those folks were doing quite badly 18 months after 9-11. They had all kinds of symptoms. You know, they, they weren't dealing with that trauma very well. We know that the best source of resilience in human beings is their ability to reach out when a dragon comes for them and hold hands with another human being and um, that is the most powerful strategy we have for dealing with 
our our vulnerableness, the fact that life is bigger than us. Um, that is the most powerful strategy, you know. And somehow it feels to me like um, we've forgotten that in in the twenty first century, we've forgotten that that's our biggest strength as our spe- as a species, our ability to do that. So. I, I want to take this conversation in, in two directions, and hopefully they can go hand in hand. Um, the The first thing that's occurring to me just from what you just said is, um, I'm wondering, what do you feel like is the balance between inner work that we do to actually heal our to heal our triggers? And and I'm thinking specifically, we're we're having. Um, Dick Schwartz on the show and um, his work with internal family systems and parts, just as an example of um, ways that we can actually address the the places where we get triggered within ourselves. So what's the balance between that kind of work and in partnership, what you do to to create an external secure bond? Yeah, well, I think from my point of view, they go together. You know, we are social interpersonal beings. So we're designed to grow each other. Um, and, you know, we can grow people in therapy, but the best place for people to grow is to be in good relationships where they grow each other. You know, um, a partner can do things that no therapist can do. When I teach trauma, I say to people, the best therapist in the world has a 20-watt light bulb to shine down into a pit of shame with somebody who has PTSD and who blames themselves for their pain. Uh, the partner has a stadium floodlight. Yeah, you well, your, this- your, your therapist isn't going to take all their clothes off and hold you while you weep uncontrollably in their arms, right? Exactly. <laughs> and also your therapist isn't there in the middle of the night when the dragon comes for you. Right, right. And yeah. um, your therapist may not be sensitive to your cues the way a partner is. Of course, the tricky part is that if you don't help the partner understand what's going on, the PTSD symptoms often push the partner away. But what I'm basically saying is the most natural and potent place to grow is in your intimate relationships. And what I see in EFT is that partners grow each other. So, you know, we talk about parts in EFT. I might say to a couple, uh, one, I might say to a man, for example, one part of you really wants to reach for her and ask her to come close. What did you say? You said you want her to reel you in because you're stuck in this. You put up a wall and then you're stuck behind it or by yourself. And one part of you really wants to, um, you know, have her turn to her and have her reel you in. And another part of you does it. Another part of what you wants to keep the wall up and shut her out and, you know, um, stay numb. And he says, yes, yes. But then here's the issue. The key part for me is I, I help him put his emotional experience together in a collaborative, respectful way. I help him make sense of his emotional reality. And then having put that new emotional music together, I help him turn it into a new dance with his partner, a new message. So then I say to him, could you tell her, please? Could you tell her? Um, One part of me wants to stay with my wall up so you can't hurt me, so I'm safe, and I numb out. But it's lonely back here. (laughs) (laughs) And another part of me 
wants to reach for you and show you that I'm hurting so you'll because I want you to reel me back in and then his and his partner listens and the real healing happens when he says this to his partner and he looks into her face and instead of seeing the rejection that he's sure is going to be there her she smiles at him with love in her eyes and says I never knew that I just felt like you could just shut me out like I didn't matter I never knew that that you that you were lonely and that you were scared and that you were trying you wanted me to reel you in I can't reel you in unless you show me where you hurt and they have this whole kind of conversation which heals them and grows them you know we grow as human beings um with others that's the way it works that's how we get a strong sense of self we create it from the feedback that others give us and the implicit memories that we have with others of mattering and being important and so i think you do your inner work um and especially with the safety that somebody else provides you and the love they provide you helps you explore that inner work helps you stay with that inner work helps you make sense of your emotions but also you have to then turn that into interactions not just with the therapist although some people of course do not have relationships so they have to start with the therapist but it's more effective if you do it with the people they love which is years ago there was an amazing book called um oh what was it called now no single thread which hardly anyone seemed to read except me um it was a lewis was the first author and he did a little study and basically what he said is if you look at the impact of individual couple and family therapy our conclusion in this study is that couple therapy is the most powerful um couple therapy of all because when you do good couple therapy the individual changes because their social context and the messages they're coming from the most important person in their life change and we know that secure attachment makes you more confident more sure of yourself more able to process information more able to deal with threat so this study said when you change a couple's interactional patterns the individuals change and the family changes uh because the basis of the family is the couple relationship so their conclusion was so really we should really focus a lot on creating these powerful interactions and we've tried to do that in therapy but my focus is we should put a whole lot more energy into creating good couple and family relationships and um you know that we should try to see that as a priority so, so you do do your inner work you do the other thing is of course understanding who you are understanding that the most basic thing about human beings is that they are homo vinculum they are the one who bonds you are an attached social attaching bonding animal and your whole nervous system is wired for that it's not a choice it's bred into your blood and understanding yourself as a bonding animal helps make sense of your emotions you know helps make sense of how terrified we all are of rejection and abandonment which we are you know it's like it's um there's lots of wonderful neuroscience that's feeding into this now um eisenberg talks about the fact that her research in brain scan studies that 
um, our response in our brain to rejection from other people, it happens in the same place and happens in the exact same way as our response to physical pain. You're a bonding animal, seeing rejection on the face of the person you love and standing on a nail, your brain basically registers as the same, they're danger cues. So understanding who you are, I think is very linked to understanding these relationships that we have. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, also in light of, we, we had Catherine Woodward Thomas on the show to talk about um, the process, her, her new book, Conscious Uncoupling, and the process of breaking up and how a rupture of attachment, like why that's so severe. And what you just said makes that make so much more sense, I think, that, that our brains are actually processing it as, like when people say, oh, I feel like there's a knife in my chest, they might actually literally feel that way because yeah. that's where their brain is processing the, the, that um, split in their attachments. That's right. And if, you, if you've ever seen this amazing YouTube, people say, well, how can you teach attachment and this whole perspective fast? And I say, oh, it's easy. Go and look at the two-minute YouTube created by my wonderful colleague, Ed Tronick, who's a developmental psychologist who st studies attachment. Um, and it's called Still Face. And it's on YouTube. And you see this baby um, where all the mother does is she stops responding. She does Still Face. She stops interacting and sending any cues. And she goes still and silent. And you watch the baby. The baby goes through all the things that bonding science says the baby's going to go through in the exact sequence. The baby notices like crazy, responds like crazy, picks it up and starts to shriek at the mother. And the baby's really saying, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where did you go? And the baby shrieks. And if you put that into adult relationships, people say, you're late. You never come home and you say you will. <laughs> so it's a bit harder to decipher in adult relationships. But the baby shrieks. And then the baby turns away, turns right round in, his, in her chair. Like, okay, then I'm going to shut you out. This is scary stuff. I'm going to shut you out. And the baby tries everything she can to get the mother back. And when you know, pushing and poking and, you know, it would be criticizing in adult relationships and withdrawing doesn't work, the baby goes into meltdown. And um, basically meltdown in adults, it's a panic response, it's fear. And um, we've, we feel terribly vulnerable, we feel terribly hurt, and most of the time we don't know how to deal with that in a way that keeps us connected with our partner. So the baby goes into meltdown. Then, of course, in the video, the mother turns and creates repair. The mother invites the child and the baby responds. In a way, all we're doing in EFT is teaching people that this is the dance they're involved in and that actually in this level, you never grow up. Um, when you can't get your partner to respond or when you don't feel important or when you feel you're failing, and you're you're rejected and you're not the, you can't please your partner your mammalian brain goes into panic and how you deal with that panic for me is the key defining element in relationships if you can deal with that panic by staying balanced and sharing it and risking making sense of it then you can repair the rift 
if you deal with that panic by getting incredibly angry, demanding your partner prove their love, or shutting down and saying, I'm leaving, right? You're in trouble, trouble, trouble. And um, you get caught in a dance that will just leave you alone for the rest of your life. So that's making me think of the very first conversation that you mention in uh, Hold Me Tight, which, uh, by the way, just a quick mention to you listening that Sue has generously offered to give away a free signed copy of Hold Me Tight to a lucky listener. So if you're interested in qualifying for that, just download our show guide at neilsatin.com slash Sue, S-U-E. Or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions there, which will qualify you. So thank you so much, Sue, for, uh, for offering that to our listeners. Oh, you're most welcome. The, um, so I was saying that it, it reminds me of the very first conversation, which you say is defining the, the recognizing the demon dialogues. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what are the demon dialogues? And- the demon dialogues. Well, you know, I, in Holby type, what I do is I try to take the 30 years of EFT and turn them into something that's very readable that, you know, folks who would never dream of going to couple therapy could read. So um, when I looked at the patterns in relationships, it seemed to me there were three. There's attack attack, um, which is very difficult to keep up. I mean, everyone gets into it occasionally, and I call that find the bad guy. And this is the demon dialogue number one. They're demons because they take over your relationship. And once they're there, they can kind of self-generate. They're like these, it's like a horror story. You know, they kind of like little demons that keep giving birth to new little demons. It just keeps going, right? So first of all, I talk about find the bad guy, where if you listen to an attack attack fight, they're both going after the booby prize, which is we're both incredibly miserable, but it's your fault, not mine. Right. <laughs> so I can hold on to me being okay, even if I'm all by myself, which is really a bad booby prize, actually. But we, so we help people see that. But most of the time, people don't get caught in that too much because it's so painful they can't tolerate it. So then the next one, which is the most popular one, um, in the Western world, and John Gottman, my wonderful colleague, John Gottman talks about this, is some version of demand withdraw, where from my point of view, one person is like the baby pushing for attention and for connection, but it can get, the message can get pretty distorted, it can get pretty negative. So my colleague, my, my um, client said, I poke him and poke him and poke him and poke him anything to get a response from him because if there's no response there's no relationship and once in every 10 times it works so I keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) and he says she just she's so dangerous I've got my guard up all the time and I shut down and I guess I do shut her out and the more she pokes me the more I run and the more I run the more she pokes me and we do doing this for years and that's called protest polka John Gottman would call it demand withdrawal. Perhaps I call it protest polka because I see that if you listen to the emotions underneath and help make sense of them, it's all about disconnection 
and trying to get back to connection. That's what it's all about. And that process is wired into your bones. So, so you have find the bad guy. You have the biggie, which is you know, almost everyone gets caught in at some point, but some people live their whole lives in, which is the protest polka. And people don't even understand that the, they say, I don't even understand why I'm so angry. I don't even understand why I shut her out and I don't believe her when she tells me she loves me. You know, people are all caught up in this. And then if the, um, these two get going and there seems to be no solution and no way to reconnect, people go into um, the third one, which is freeze and flee, where both people are withdrawn in the relationship. And, you know, that's, I think that's mostly because people get burned out finally in the in you know hundreds and hundreds of interactions where it all goes into um, protest polka so we help people understand their dance what they usually do when they feel disconnected and I invite you I invite listeners to think about their own relationships this happens in pretty positive relationships too the difference is in positive relationships it's not the main show in town and you have other interactions as well. And you can often find a way to turn and reconnect with each other. The real problem comes when you can't do that. And the relationship starts to turn into a desert. And you decide dreadful things about your partner. Like they're mean and horrible or they're not your soulmate. Whoever came up with the idea of soulmate should be boiled in oil in a public square somewhere. Preferably in New York. Because there, from my point of view there aren't any soulmates. All of us have to work and learn about relationships and we all change and, you know, relationships change us. So people, we help people understand these demon dialogues and we help them learn how to help each other out, help each other out of them. So, you know, um, in my, and this therapists tell us, we even do research on our training for therapists and therapists tell us when we learn EFT, when we do your four-day externship, for example, which is the basic training in EFT, which is offered by all over the world uh, by my um, trainers from my institute, when we do those, um, therapists tell us it changes the way I work with couples. It changes my sense of uh, competence, but it also, of course, has changed my own personal life. Well, of course, <laughs> because you start to understand your own relationships. The one that stands out for me is my relationship with my son when he was an adolescent, I'm not sure I would have, I'm not sure I would have survived if I hadn't um, had my couples teach me all this stuff. You know, it's like um, I would get critical and he would be completely dismissive and contemptuous and stonewall me. And I, with all my knowledge, it doesn't matter, you're still an emotional being, I would go berserk on him, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that would leave me feeling terrible, like a terrible mother. And it would leave him feeling alone and small. And that was really bad, not just for our relationship and our family, but very bad for him in what he was dealing with and challenges of growing up for me. So it helped a lot when I started saying, um, no, actually, I don't think it was me. The first time it happened, it was him. He said, Mum, we're caught in one of those conversations that we always have. We're caught in those conversations where I feel like you're telling me I'm disappointing 
and you get mad and I just say, I'll show you and I turn away. Um, aren't we caught in that? And I said, yes, Tim, we're, we're caught in that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I have to change the emotional music and say to him, um, which is going beyond just stopping the demon dialogues or, or somehow mitigating them, um, I have to be able to move and say, well, actually, Tim, I started in the wrong place. I shouldn't have started criticizing you for not giving in assignments at school. I should maybe have started by saying, I'm really scared because I'm your mum and I think you're failing at school and it feels like I can't get through to you. There's nothing I can do. And I'm feeling really helpless and scared and I don't know what to do right now to help you. And of course, when I say that, on that emotional level, it pulls on him in a whole different way and it allows him, it gives him the safety to turn and say to me, well, actually, mom, you're scared. I've been telling you lies. I haven't done any assignments for the whole year and I've completely failed. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're both sitting there and we look at each other and I say, ah, right, uh, so we're both scared. And he said, yes. So then what do we do? We comfort each other. And somehow when you comfort each other, there's a whole um, ability. You have your emotional balance back. So your mind works differently. And there's a whole set of solutions to this that appear that weren't there before. You know, it's like before it was like, I'm going to get my son to listen to me. And my mother's being mean to me. I'm not going to listen. That was our whole interaction now we're sitting down saying things like oh gee tim i don't know what do you think she says i don't know mum. what do you think well listen he's listening and i say well you could do some makeup classes at the college down the road i hear that they're really nice and so the whole thing shifts mm. so first of all you have to understand the dance you're caught in understand your attachment needs and fears that are the music of this dance and uh, really get the, the, the dance and be able to see your partner as somebody who's scared and afraid rather than as this mean person who's trying to do you in or this distant person who doesn't care about connection. And then that gives you the platform to learn how to open up and connect with each other in a different way. Yeah, so um, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned the, the hold me tight conversation and um, and in your book, there are seven conversations at all in all, and hold me tight is number four. The yeah. f the first three are really about understanding the dance that you're in, and right. and creating a safe container yes. with your partner. That's right. Um, and just because we're running short on time, I'm going to just do a quick summary. So stop me if I'm wrong here. Um, but the, the idea is you see the dance and that actually, when you look at those demon dialogues and step back from them, you see like probably at the source of them was one or both of you having what you call your raw spot triggered. Yes. Where this is where you experienced a disconnect from yes. your partner and yes. and so it's you end up in those in the the dialogues as a an ineffective way to try and repair connection that's right and then you you offer this 
conversation around revisiting times when that has happened. So you can see what you call revisiting a rocky moment. Yeah. And and that's a way of reprocessing those those arguments that you've probably had over and over again. It's um, always the same argument, actually. Right, right. Yeah. But through see, that John, new lens. Right. And, you know, John, John and I, we're great colleagues, and he says things like, oh, couples fight about sex, money, and kids. And I say, no, they don't. The fights that matter, that define the relationship, are always only about one thing. They're about um, this. They're about um, emotional disconnection and not feeling safely connected. They're about connection and disconnection. They're about, do I matter to you? Are you there for me? And a no or maybe answer. Those are the fights are always, and underneath that, there is always the fear of rejection and abandonment. And um, so, yes, we're saying you have to be able to sort of tone that down, tone that down and understand, help people understand where they get stuck and become totally unavailable to each other or totally dangerous for each other um, because someone you love who's criticizing you is a danger cue for your brain. And then you have to move into being able to deal with that moments of disconnection in a more positive way where you can say, I'm feeling really disconnected from you. I'm feeling lonely and it's difficult for me to even tell you this because you seem so busy and so preoccupied. Um, and I'm telling you that I'm, I'm, it's getting hard for me. I'm just feeling all by myself here. And so you talk about your fears and your vulnerability in a clear way. You don't say, I'm getting upset and it's your fault. <laughs> you, you talk about it in a clear way and where you can put it all together and make sense of it. And then you ask for what you need. And it's you say, and what I need is for you to just tell me that you're busy right now, but you're still thinking of me and you're still mat and I still matter to you and we're gonna do something special on the weekend. You know, and it's so interesting. Couples um say things like, Well, I um I don't really want to do that. You know, I, the man who said, I want her to reel me in. He said he was a heart patient, actually, because we're working with heart patients right now at the Heart Institute in town. He said, um, I want her to reel me in. I don't want to have to tell her, you know. I don't want to have to tell her, I need you. I, 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 I'm all alone here. And after my heart attack, I feel more fragile. And I don't want to tell you that's scary. That's a risk. I've never done that in my life. You know, I, I don't talk to people like that. I want you to just know. And come get me. And you now they're not distressed anymore. So she can actually laugh and say, um, I think that's really hard. I think you've got to risk trusting me enough to show me and tell me what you need. Maybe sometimes I can, I can guess, but I can't guess. You have to ask. And he says, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just don't want to take the risk. It's just I'm in strange territory here. Well, he is in strange territory, but the funny thing is I, all I have to do is give him a little bit of support and he turns and does it. He does it and I say, and this is what happens in EFT. People move into new dances, uh, bit by bit they move into new dances where they feel competent to deal with their emotions, they're clear about what's going on in their relationship 
and they feel able to take these risks. So he then he turns to her, this man who says, I don't talk about my feelings. And, you know, he says, I do. It's scary for me to tell you. I don't want to ask because I'm scared you won't want to do it or I'll feel rejected and small. But I do. I need you to reel me in because I get stuck behind that wall and then I'm freaking out. <laughs> right. And I need your reassurance when we get into these fights that I'm still the person you want, even after my heart attack and all my medical problems and the fact that I do sometimes disappoint you. I need you to come. And, and she says, and then bless her heart, he pulls for new responses from her. And she says, how can I do it in a way that works for you? And he says, just come hold my hand. Just come grab my hand. Don't use lots of words because then I'll get overwhelmed. Just come hold my hand. Now, this man comes up with it by himself. It's like we know this deep in our bones. We have this longing and it's almost like we know it. It we know this dance even when we haven't done it in our lives or when we didn't see our have it with our parents it's we can help couples move into this because it's just part of who we are yeah i'm uh, a couple points that i just want to clarify um and then i want to ask you a question that i would I hesitate to ask you, but I, I'm going to have to just as a service to uh, to some particular listeners out there that have been writing me recently. So um, the first thing is we've used a lot of examples of men and women in couples, yeah. And but these these um, attachment um, dances they hold for same sex relationships of as well. Of course, of course they do, and we are amazingly proud of. We, we write about same-sex couples and we are amazingly proud of our training video called EFT with same-sex couples. And they are exactly the same. Now, they're not the same in that same-sex couples are sometimes dealing with much more difficult social contexts where their relationships have not been validated and where they're up... I mean, they still live in a homophobic society. Mm. So... If you like, I think actually same-sex couples have even greater need for a more secure bond than the average heterosexual person who's you know, who just takes it for granted that they can hold hands in the street and kiss each other and talk about their relationships. You know, it depends on where you live. It, you can do that if you're a same-sex couple in San Francisco. I'm not so sure if you do that in a small town in Texas. Right. So, you know, it's they're dealing with more they're dealing with more stress they need each i see that they need each other more um you know and there are different issues but basically it's the same patterns it's the same stuff does that answer your question that does and um and then also for for those following uh, that we've only reached conversation number four, and there are seven. Sadly, <laughs> sadly, we won't have time to go through all of them. But I just want to give everyone a preview that, um, you know, what Sue just described was the hold me tight conversation, a process for actually asking for what you need and receiving that with your with your partner. And then after that, um, there are, there's a conversation that deals with forgiveness. Um, so addressing 
injuries from the past. And then a whole chapter that's devoted to the kind of sex that's possible when you are in a securely attached place. And Sue, side note, I, I love the way that you described these three different kinds of sex and and, and synchrony and how that's possible in a, yes. in a sexual relationship. We've talked a lot on this show about the kinds of sex that foster oxytocin and bonding behaviors and yes. um, and hopefully that that uh, people at home are getting that experience of what it's like to have a relationship that's based on oxytocin instead of on dopamine. Um, and then... I, actually, I want to say something about that. Go ahead. You know, uh, because there's lots of stuff in the press about what optimal sex is and whether it's possible in a long-term relationship. And there's, lo- there's some folks out there who seem to think that a secure connection is somehow the enemy of eroticism. And what I want to say is that all the evidence points in the opposite direction, that secure emotional connection helps you explore and become totally engaged and attuned to your partner. Um, if you like, the sort of attachment version of passion is that passion is the longing for emotional connection tuned in, um, twinned with attunement, the ability to attune to each other and move together in synchrony and then go into erotic play. And that's the best definition of passion I know. And so usually what happens in couples who do EFT is that their sexual relationship improves. Of course it does. They can dance together in an incredibly intimate way. You know, I dance Argentine tango, so I always think of the image there that, you know, um, Argentine tango is a a lesson in attunement and synchrony, and so is good sex. Mm, yeah, and my partner and I we uh, do contact improv and very very similar kind of thing where yes, it's, yes. Uh, you're totally attuned to each other. It's totally improvisational, and it can oh, be that's... pretty hot too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that, that last question, and um, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And again, just um, to remind listeners, show guide is available, neilsatin.com slash Sue, or texting the word passion to the number 33444. So um, this is a complicated thing, and I it might be, you might hate me for asking you a complicated question at the end of our conversation. But I'm imagining um, there are so many people in this day and age that are having blended families and relationships that involve children from prior relationships. And I wonder if you have any suggestions for those people, because situations can come up all the time where it's like you're there with your new partner and your children and... And suddenly everyone is feeling a rupture of attachment and yes. and everyone needs to 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 navigate that situation. Do yes. you do you have like a quick suggestion for for people who are trying to navigate that and make sure their kids feel attended to and their partners feel attended to and and everyone can repair? Um, well, the point is, I think it can't it often can't all happen at once. And so um, I think that's the problem that parents feel amazingly responsible for their kids and they don't want their kids to feel insecure or hurt. And at the same time, they've got this relationship that they're trying to grow. And so we work with those folks. We work with blended families in family therapy and we work with them as couples. And we, do, we just do straight EFT with them and we basically say to them, 
the more you can work on your relationship and feel, help each other feel secure, the more you can turn as a team and both parent your kids, because they're now your, your kids, they're not her kids and his kids. Um, you can parent your kids in a way that helps them feel safe. So we focus on the, the couple relationship and then helping them understand the messages they give and how to help others feel secure. And then we help them take that to their kids. So, you know. By the way, Neil, if people are interested in research, they can go to my website and there's little videos on our research and our brain scans and our studies and all kinds of things. And there's me rabbiting on about um, the, the science of bonding and all this stuff too. So if people are interested, they can find lots of resources on my personal website. And that website is drsuejohnson.com, and that's D-R-S-U-E-Johnson-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. And we will have links to your site um, as well as to your books um, available on our website as well so that everyone can very easily um, find there. Actually, we'll also, I'll try to put a link to the uh, Edtronic uh, still face video there Oh, as that's well. great. Okay. Sue, thank you so much for your time today and for your wisdom You're most and welcome. really appreciate your your contribution to the uh, ability for couples to have amazing, even more deeply connected relationships. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.